I've been programmed by society to tell me, yeah. oh, these things will complete you. No, I'm already complete. I was born complete. Without mm -hmm. the things, I'm complete. I'm in an empty room and I'm still complete there. Therefore, mm -hmm. the material possessions can only enhance my life. They can't complete mm -hmm. me. Hello and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. It's hard enough being a mom and the last thing you need is stress from too much stuff in an overcrowded schedule. For too long, I lived with the mindset that bigger was better and the more that I added to my life, instead of feeling better, I felt overwhelmed. It was time for a radical new mindset. Less is more. I'm not into extremes. I didn't throw everything away. My brand of minimalism is more about adding than subtracting. Get rid of the excess to make room for what you love. In other words, it's about living life with purpose. I hope you'll listen in and my guests and myself can inspire you to think more and do with less. Exciting news! The Minimalist's first documentary, Minimalism, is now streaming for free on YouTube. The documentary has been viewed over 80 million times on Netflix since its release in 2016. And for those of you who haven't seen the documentary, it examines the simple lives of minimalists from all walks of life. Families, architects, artists, scientists, journalists, entrepreneurs, and even a former Wall Street broker. These individuals share their stories of how they've learned to live more meaningfully with less. And today, Joshua Fields Milburn, one half of The Minimalist, joins me to discuss why they've chosen a new home for their first documentary, how the documentary gets to the heart of consumption, how Joshua maintains a minimalist mindset, encouragement for parents, and what the future of minimalism looks like. So stay tuned for my interview with Joshua, but before we get there, I wanna share my minimalist resource of the week. Piggybacking off the resource that was shared from last week's guest, it was 4,000 Weeks Time Management for Mortals by Oliver Berkman. I wanna share another book that's in a similar category. This one's called Don't Believe Everything You Think, While Your Thinking is the Beginning and End of Suffering. It's currently a number one bestseller in stress management self-help, and it's a book to learn how to overcome anxiety, self-doubt, self-sabotage without needing to rely on motivation or willpower, which seems increasingly difficult based on circumstances. I'm still in the beginning stages of reading through this book, but for those of you who've been listening to my show for some time now, I really do love to get to the root and the heart of why it is that we do things. You'll hear Joshua talk about that in this episode, just how our clutter is typically an external representation of what is going on in our lives, in our minds. So again, this book offers a new idea and understanding of where our human experience comes from, allowing us to end our own suffering and create how we want to feel at any moment. And as this book says in the synopsis, it was designed to go beyond thinking and to discover the truth of what you already know intuitively. So again, maybe that sounds like it's for you. Maybe it doesn't. But the book is Don't Believe Everything You Think. So far, I've enjoyed it. I'm always looking for interesting nonfiction reads. If you have something you've really enjoyed lately, shoot me a message on my personal Instagram or at Minimalist Moms Podcast. And with that, let's get into this conversation with Joshua. Well, Joshua, thanks so much for joining me again today on the Minimalist Moms Podcast. I'm so grateful you had me. Thank you. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about the fact that your documentary from 2015, Minimalism, is going to be re-released on YouTube tomorrow, which when this episode airs, it'll have been yesterday. But I'm so excited for you. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a heck of a journey. You know, we started The Minimalist back in 2010. It just started as a blog. And from there, we had books and tours. And eventually, we released this documentary. 
And then Netflix picked it up, they licensed it, and over 80 million people have seen it since they released it in 2016. Before that, we even did a theatrical release. We did 400 theaters in the U.S. and Canada and Australia, and just spreading this message of simple living, living a meaningful life with less, as we say. And now it was finally time to give it a new home. After seven years and 80 million people seeing it there, I wanted to find a home where it could be 100% advertisement-free. We don't like doing ads on our podcast or anything else we do. And we thought, what better place than just put it up on our YouTube channel, make it available to everyone worldwide in perpetuity with zero <laughs> commercials. And so they could watch it. They could share it with whoever they, whoever they think will find value in the film. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that anyone can find value in the film because it really isn't just about a how-to to declutter. You guys speak to the roots of why in the consumption. It's funny. I just re-watched the film for the first time since it was in theaters. I saw it in a bunch of theaters. We did a the theatrical tour with it as well, but I hadn't seen it since then. And I re-watched it and it held up so well. It was so much better than I originally remembered. And <laughs> Our director, Matt Diavella, total genius, and he was able to put this together in a way that, as you said, it's not just about the material possessions. I think the material stuff is sort of the first bite at the apple. When people think yeah. about minimalism, they think about letting go of excess stuff. But we mm -hmm. have so much more stuff than just our stuff. The things in our life aren't just the material things in our life. And so the documentary sort of walks people through the mental and emotional clutter, the spiritual clutter. They're all results, or at least they're manifested outwardly in our material mm -hmm. possessions. Our physical possessions are a physical manifestation of what's going on inside us. So as we start letting go of those material possessions, what tends to happen is we start looking inside ourselves and dealing mm -hmm. with that that emotional clutter, that mental clutter, that spiritual clutter. And then we can look at our other areas of life as well, the calendar clutter. Oh, I'm so busy, busy, busy all the time, or whatever it might mm -hmm. be, the relationship clutter in our lives. And it starts mm -hmm. with the stuff, but it goes so far beyond our material possessions. Yeah. So you've been pursuing minimalism for so long at this point. How do you I don't know, how do you keep it up? How do you feel like you have said no to the things? Yeah, I think it is a constant exercise, not not just in the question asking, but it becomes emotional <laughs> after a while. When I started yeah. minimalism, 2008 is when my mother was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And I just started looking around and, and finding all of the things I thought were important to me weren't actually important. I had prioritized mm -hmm. my life in a way where status and success and achievement, especially in the corporate world, was where all of my identity was wrapped up. And of course, in our world, that also means the material accoutrement of success, the so-called trophies of success, whether it's the really big house in the suburbs or the car um, with, with the luxury emblem on it. And what mm -hmm. I realized is that all of the things I bought to make me happy. All the things I'd brought into my life to make me happy, all the things that I had achieved to make me happy weren't mm -hmm. actually doing their job because I was constantly searching outside of myself for something I was born with. I was born happy and I made myself unhappy. I covered up that happiness with all of this pursuit, the striving, the achieving, the clinging to things mm -hmm. that were actually creating a lot of misery in my life. And so when I started letting go, I started asking a question. How might your life be better with less? 
And that mm-hmm. might be less stuff. And that's really what we get to in the documentary. But it's also fewer commitments or maybe fewer relationships, certainly fewer toxic relationships, reprioritizing my relationships. But how might your life be better with less helps you understand the benefits of simplifying, of letting go. And then you start applying that all throughout your life. Yes, I can go through my home right now and ask myself Mm -hmm. other questions like, does this thing add value to my life? I could pick up this coffee mug that's here in front of me. Because as a Mm -hmm. minimalist, as you know, we're not against material possessions. That's a common Mm -hmm. misconception that like, oh, these guys, they must own nothing. They must Mm -hmm. hate things. They must live like monks or ascetics. But of course not. I actually Mm -hmm. get Here's a weird paradox. As a minimalist, I get far more value from the few items I own than if I were to water them down with hundreds of thousands of trinkets. So I look at this mug and I say, does this add value to my life? Well, yes, clearly I'm using it right now and I use it every day. But if I were to have 20 of these, would it add Mm -hmm. 20 times more value to my life? No, it would actually get in the way. So that's an important question. What is getting in the way of the things that add value to my life? We have this mm-hmm. um, free minimalist rule book that people can download. It's not really a rule book because we don't believe in yeah. rules, but there's some boundaries we've set up in our own lives. It, it's 16 rules for living with less. And one of those rules is the no junk rule. And basically everything we own can fit into one of three piles. It's either essential, non-essential, or it's mm-hmm. junk. We all have similar essentials, like we need housing and food and, and shelter mm-hmm. and education, vocation, transportation. But beyond that, there are a lot of things that are different for each of us. Strictly speaking, I could get by without my coffee table or without my couch. Those things are non-essential. I can live without them, but they add value Mm -hmm. to my life. And so Mm -hmm. minimalism is not about deprivation, at least not long-term deprivation. I might get Mm -hmm. rid of something for a short period of time to realize, yes, it does add value to my life, or no, it doesn't add any value at all. And if it doesn't Mm -hmm. add any value, then it fits in that third category. It's junk. It's in the way. It's clutter. Mm -hmm. By definition, anything that gets in the way is clutter. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to let go of. But as you asked the question a moment ago, yes, you do have to keep it up because you don't get to this end point of minimalism. As our lives change, what adds value to our lives changes as well. And so Mm -hmm. if this mug stops adding value to my life or my vacuum cleaner stops adding value to my life or the pair of jeans that I'm wearing stops adding value to my life, I need to be willing to let go. And the reason Mm -hmm. I need to let go is because it's no longer serving me. It's simply getting in the way. Yeah. I think it is counterintuitive to say that less will bring us more happiness because often we think that more will bring us more happiness. And I don't know about you. Again, sometimes I fall into the keeping up with the Joneses mentality or just, oh, this is really cool. I like that, but it doesn't mean I have to have it. I can like it and appreciate it. But one of the things that I try to remind myself is that If there is an unfulfilled want for me, it's always going to be there. And marketers want me to feel like I don't have enough. And therefore, I kind of want to beat them at their own game and just be like, nope, I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to make me feel dissatisfied with the amount of things or just like what I actually have. And so if I kind of rewire my thought process to be like, no, I'm not going to be fooled by this. That's been helpful to me. Yeah, we certainly have been tricked by advertisers, by marketers. They make us, as you just alluded to, they make us 
feel incomplete. And the only way we can be completed is with their product or service. And you are not a whole human being. Well, that's actually what consumerism is. Consumerism is just the ideology that buying things will make us whole or happy. Mm -hmm. But of course, Mm -hmm. if you don't show up whole, no thing can complete you. Yes, our material Mm -hmm. possessions can certainly augment our lives, enhance our lives, add a great deal of value to our lives as tools. But I think about them as tools. Like if I have a tool in my toolkit, literal toolkit, if I pull out a hammer, that can be great. It can be really useful. But if I have a tool in my toolkit that I'm never using, it's getting Mm -hmm. in the way of whatever I want to do in life. And it's weighing me down quite literally there. I could have the biggest toolbox in the world full of all of the tools. But if I'm only using a handful of them, why do I have all this excess? Well, because I thought, well, maybe these things will make me a better person or they'll make me happier or whatever it might be. But Mm -hmm. I've been programmed by society to tell me, oh, these things will complete you. No, I'm already complete. I was born complete. Without Mm -hmm. the things, I'm complete. I'm in an empty room and I'm still complete there. Therefore, Mm -hmm. the material possessions can only enhance my life. They can't complete Mm -hmm. me. Yeah, absolutely. Have you heard of the study Life at Home in the 21st Century? No, tell me about it. Okay, so it was done, I believe, out of UCLA. I'm sorry, I need to double check that. But it was a study done in the early 2010s. But they examined a handful of families and their homes and just studied them for a month. And they did heat maps to see where they spent the majority of their time, which they found out that we spend a lot more concentrated time in certain areas of our home versus like using all the space that we think that we need. People using several rooms in their homes as storage spaces. They talked about refrigerator panels and how there's a correlation between the front panel and chaos and clutter in our home. So super interesting. But this was done at this point 10, 12 years ago. And I feel like there needs to be more scientific studies done on clutter and chaos because I just feel like it has shifted. But maybe I'm just this is wishful thinking. Yeah, you know, I still see it being a significant issue, even though people are continuing to declutter their homes or Mm -hmm. I think worse, though, we often organize our homes and organizing unless you're a professional organizer, the professional organizers know this really well. But for us amateurs, organizing is a great way to hide the problem. You can get all the bins and the boxes from the container store and you can make it look nice and pretty and you can alphabetize all of your old DVDs that you never watch and your cassette tapes and your Mm -hmm. laser discs and your old magazine subscriptions that you have piled up. And you can have all of You can have an entire ordinal system for all Mm -hmm. of your clutter. And even though it is orderly, it is Mm -hmm. still clutter. You know, there are museums and archives, places that archive things like this, but we're treating our basements and our attics and our closets as though we're collecting these for some hypothetical future. We never Mm -hmm. end up using them. And then what happens? A year goes by. A decade goes by, several decades go by. I talk to people literally every day on the Minimalist Podcast. And Mm -hmm. what happens is we hold on to things from house to house. We move and something stays Mm -hmm. in a box. And then we move two or three years later and that box is still there in a Mm -hmm. closet or in the attic or in a cupboard, unopened. In fact, we often don't even remember what is Mm -hmm. in most of those boxes. And we hold on to it. Why? Well, the three most dangerous words in the English language are just in case. 
And those three words allow us to justify holding on to anything. And so I see it being a substantial problem, but I think you're right. I think there is also a clutter problem in other areas of our lives as well. Even if we have organized homes, we can still have a really cluttered life. We can have Mm -hmm. too many commitments. Our calendar can be so full that we feel like our life is out of control. In fact, whenever I say I'm busy, I'm really just saying my life is out of control. Everyone Mm -hmm. else's emergency has now become urgent to me because they are dictating what my schedule is, my calendar is, my inbox is, my responses are. And so we form calendar clutter or commitment clutter or relationship Mm -hmm. clutter or career clutter or, of course, with the online world, information clutter, digital clutter. Oh, by the way, education clutter, health clutter, food clutter. These are Mm -hmm. all topics that we talk about on our podcast because I think it goes so much beyond the stuff. You can see the Mm -hmm. stuff. The physical clutter is easy to see. Some of these other types of clutter, they're a bit more abstruse. They're they're more difficult for us to detect. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm curious, though, for you, you are doing a lot. You are speaking and you have your podcast. And I guess, how do you find what's priority in your life? Sure. I don't do much. I I know from the outside, it looks like that because I'm rather effective, but I'm probably not that productive when you really step back and, and look at it. Like I don't do things just for the sake of doing them. Uh, That word, you use the word priority, right? And Uh I think that's important to realize that in, Till the 20th century, we didn't have a plural for that word. Priority Mm -hmm. means the first thing. And Mm -hmm. so you can't have 16 priorities. It's literally Mm -hmm. nonsensical to say, here are my five priorities. That's like saying, here Mm -hmm. are my five the first things. It literally doesn't make sense. But we can release our list of priorities like the United Nations did. They had had their list of 163 priorities. Well, if you have 163 priorities, it just means you don't have a priority. Priority Mm -hmm. means what is the one thing that I'm willing to set everything else aside for right now? Now, I can have a different Mm -hmm. priority this evening, but in this Mm -hmm. moment, my priority is talking to you. I don't have any other Mm -hmm. priorities At this moment, Mm -hmm. I have a priority, the first thing, the thing that is in front of me right now, and it has to be Mm -hmm. the most important thing. Another thing I've Mm -hmm. done, I've gotten really good at saying no. Not just saying Mm -hmm. no for the sake of saying no, but recognizing that if I don't say no to certain things and I say yes to them, then I end up accidentally saying no to the things that are most important to me. I write every day. I exercise every day. I read every day. And at the moment, those are are my priority. Whatever I'm doing at that moment is my priority. And I do those things every day. But in order to say yes to those every day, I have to say no to other things that might get in the way. Quick question about parenthood, because you have a daughter. What does it look like for her? I guess, how have you introduced this? This has always been your lifestyle since you've been a parent. But I mean, how do you encourage her to come alongside of you? Are you seeing her push away from your type of lifestyle? What does that look like? I don't have any (laughs) advice, but I certainly have some observations about parenting. Kids, they definitely, you can talk to them till you're blue in the face. You can mm-hmm. tell them about what they should do, and it almost never works. In fact, it's it's counter to what you want to happen. If you're just constantly saying you should do this, you should do this, prescribing something to do. Now, it doesn't mean I don't set up boundaries for my daughter. I, I obviously do, 
But mm -hmm. uh, those boundaries are there to protect her. When we put up too many boundaries, it actually does the opposite for us. It, they, they get in the way. Like I look at her room, for example. Her room has boundaries. There are four walls in her room. If I were to put another wall right down the middle and say, oh, I'm adding an extra boundary in here, it actually mm -hmm. gets in the way of her enjoying her life. I also have to understand that her preferences aren't wrong or bad or evil just because mm -hmm. they might be different from mine. Yes, if you're looking at the room I'm in right now, it's a relatively stark white room. It's my office a few sound panels around me, and it's pretty simple, right? But she has preferences as a 10-year-old, and her preferences are different from mine. She's not wrong for having those, and she keeps them within her boundary, and that's great. The best thing I can do for her, though, is demonstrate the benefits of living with less. Not just dem demonstrate living with less, but mm -hmm. the benefits of simplifying. Because if she understands the benefits of simplifying— what are the benefits mm -hmm. for her? It gets back to that question we asked earlier. How might your life be better with less? Well, the benefits mm -hmm. are different for me as mm -hmm. a 42-year-old man than mm -hmm. they are for my 10-year-old daughter. And so she doesn't need to understand the benefits for me unless mm -hmm. those are the same benefits for her. So for her, having a less cluttered room is what? It gives her the ability to play with her friends in her room unobstructed. There's nothing mm -hmm. that is getting in the way of play. Oh, huge benefit for her. And as soon mm -hmm. as she realizes that, not just intellectually, but viscerally, she, she understands yeah. that, then letting go becomes much easier. Yeah, that's great advice. I always say try and live by example, but I think that when we communicate those things as well, our kids can understand these simple concepts, but there's depth there that maybe we don't give them credit for. They definitely intuit a lot of things yeah. that we don't. We've sort of left behind that intuitive nature we have. We can pick that back mm -hmm. up, but you can tell when a room just feels off. The energy in yeah. the room is wrong, and kids, they automatically pick that up. If something is mm -hmm. off to them, they see it, and, and they may not even be able to communicate that with you, but they can sense it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the last things I wanted to ask you before I let you go, I wanted to talk about the future of minimalism. What does the future of minimalism look like? Yeah, we saw this huge spike when our first documentary, the one that's out on YouTube now, came out on Netflix. Mm -hmm. We saw this huge spike. If you do a Google Trends search for the word minimalism in late mm -hmm. 2016 when it hit Netflix, I mean, it was through the roof. And again, three months later when we did the worldwide release on Netflix, so many people watch this film and they were really curious about minimalism. Now, mm -hmm. because of that, there were a lot of misconceptions. Minimalism is about getting rid of your stuff. It's about living with nothing. It's about stark white walls and uh, uh, living in a, an empty loft space, or it's about being a peripatetic writer and traveling the world without a family, and it's only for single people or whatever it might be, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of these misconceptions. And so, when people saw that, some people got turned off by it. Some people were really, um, they found it really appealing. But for me, minimalism is the thing that gets us past the things so we can make room for life's most important things. And we all get to identify what's important. There's not something that's intrinsically important. Yes, I can say that this water glass in front of me is important. And I guess it is important to hold this water without it right now. There'd be water all over me, right? But mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that this glass is important to you. And so you get to identify what is important in your life. 
And for me, minimalism has it started as a blog for us, for the minimalists, right? And then it turned mm-hmm. into books and and these world tours that we, we were doing speaking tours and and then the podcast and and uh, several documentaries at this point. But what I've realized is that it goes so far, those are just vehicles, right? But it, mm-hmm. it goes so far beyond the material possessions. Where else can you apply minimalism in your life? Well, over the last few years, we've had a lot of people whose work has shifted dramatically. There's a lot of work from home now, yeah. a lot of people still working from home, or their work se- uh, situation changed significantly. And so when I see a lot of workplace clutter or career clutter, people are now questioning where they're working. Does this give me a sense of meaning and purpose? Do I really mm-hmm. get joy from this or am I just doing it to earn a paycheck? Nothing wrong with making money. I'm certainly not allergic to money, but I think a lot of people mm-hmm. have begun to reprioritize and realize that the first thing is not money here. It is mm-hmm. not Money no longer gets to drive the car for me is the analogy that I like. Mm -hmm. Now, it's still a passenger in the car. I can't pretend that money isn't important. I have to pay my mortgage and I have to pay for food and I have to pay for toys for my daughter, right? There are things that I still have to buy, but it's no longer the primary driver for doing what I do. And minimalism has allowed me to step back and say, okay, That is a type of clutter. When I put money first, when I put success Mm -hmm. first, when I put material possessions first, they tend to get in the way. And they don't do the thing that they're supposed to do. We do all these things, what? To give us more comfort, to make us happy. And quite often, Mm -hmm. they do the opposite. The objects of our desire very quickly become the objects of our discontent. So what is the future of minimalism? I see it being applied in the workplace. I see it being applied to our calendars. I see it being applied to our relationships. I see minimalism Mm -hmm. being applied to our digital world, our digital lives. I see minimalism extending way beyond the material possessions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great final word. Okay, well, where can they find you online? I mean, I think it's been pretty clear, but why don't you go ahead and just tell them where they can find you? Certainly. You can find everything over at theminimalists.com. And if you want to watch our documentary, which is called Minimalism, a documentary about the important things, you can find that on YouTube or over at minimalism.com. Cool. So I didn't prompt you for this, but quickly when I end with my guests, I always ask two quick questions to just kind of get to know you better. So what has been a beneficial resource in your life that you want to share with the listeners? Oh, yes. Uh, This one's easy for me. We had Clint Ober on our podcast. Uh, He runs earthing.com. And um, for me, the, the book Earthing, totally changed my life. Staying grounded the vast majority of the day. I have a really weird autoimmune disease and it really helped with all my pain and inflammation. Absolutely amazing. The book Earthing, earthing earthing.com. Amazing. Wow. I will check that out. Okay. Well, the last thing is what is something that you can't stop talking about? And I don't know if I should tell you, you can't say minimalism. Yes. Well, I'm going to reverse that and say, I can stop talking about anything. Uh, I do I do get really zealous about the earthing stuff be- just mm-hmm. because it has made such a significant impact on my life. Uh, I've had amazing effects, but quite often I'd, I'd rather stop talking and start mm-hmm. listening. Well, that's, a, I think, a great place to end it. Thank you so much again for joining me today. Thank you, Diane. I appreciate you. What did you think of the episode? I hope you enjoyed the conversation. 
To learn more about today's guest, including links, resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at minimalistmomspodcast.com, where you can find the entire podcast archive, as well as my book, Minimalist Moms Living and Parenting with Simplicity, or other ways to connect or work with me online. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave a rating or review of your favorite episode. Lastly, sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends on social media is very helpful and will encourage others on their journey to think more and do with less.